Actually, I just wanted to mention a couple of uh, events, particularly um, that I'm going to be teaching a weekend in, um, at Esalen in August. Uh, that's why I put the Esalen ca uh, catalogs out there. So uh, if you have been to Esalen, you probably really would love to come back. And if you've never been there, you probably thought, God, I always wanted to go there. And so right now you're thinking that's, this is the perfect opportunity. So I just want to encourage you to follow through on that in intention, on that impulse. Now, it's really, it is really a special place. And I've been doing a retreat there the last couple of years in August. And uh, so, you know, you bring your winter clothing, of course. But uh, it's, it is a stunning, really beautiful place. And the weekend... Uh, you know, I, pr I take it kind of easy on p people. I get, there's a lot of time. I mean, the morning is kind of workshoppy, and then there's a, like a long lunch break, and then some afternoon stuff, and then there's a long break before dinner or something like that. Anyway, you, there's time for the hot tubs and the massage, and there's yoga classes early in the morning, and you know, it's it's just a great a great weekend. So if you can make it down, that'd be great. Uh, I'm hoping actually, been trying to. Uh, get through to them about uh, doing a perf musical performance while I'm there. So uh, that would be a bonus for me, anyway. Um, and so, uh, most of you probably know that we we have this class every month here, the second Friday. We used to do it on the first Friday, and then I started getting always was booked on the first Friday, so we switched it to the second Friday. So now I get booked on the second Friday. But uh, I'm going to be covering, I'll be here pretty much the rest of the year, I think, every Friday, so every month. So um, thank you for coming and keep, keep coming back. <laughs> I, uh, so I'll talk a little bit about step six and... Um, You know, I, I the the thing I've been thinking about is um, me, because <laughs> you know, what a, what else is there to think about? You know? uh, and kind of wondering if I if I really have a right to talk about this stuff because I'm not sure sometimes whether I'm sane enough to uh, actually have any authority. Um, one of my great fears, in fact. I don't know if it's a great fear, but one of my fears is that I just talk a good game and that uh, I don't actually do it. Um, and when it comes to step six and seven, it's a constant challenge, you know. We're entirely ready. I mean, first of all, what an order I can't go through with it, you know. Anything that's entirely is an issue as, from, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, and, uh, and then there's sort of the, you can be ready and then for a while and then stop being ready. Um, uh, uh, let me just deconstruct the, the step a little bit in terms of language so we can get past that because I think that's kind of important. Um, and the, particularly the two trigger uh, words, which I would say are God and defects. Um, I, I, you know, I find both of these to be somewhat problematic, as, as I sort of said before. I mean, I have, and I think many of us have like our way of uh, uh, translating the word God. And, and uh, you know, anybody who's kind of working the Buddhist angle and the steps at the same time has some, something figured out or not figured out. But, you know, you're... you're you kind of have to come up with something. And obviously I've done a lot of work around that, having writ written a book on the topic. Um, but I, I don't... As much as I, I think steps six and seven, they are the numerical center of the steps as it happens. I don't know if that's that surprised me. It didn't surprise me, but it, it satisfied me when I realized it. They, I also think that they are the, in terms of their literal meaning, uh, they're the ones that 
just make no sense to me, uh, basically. So I have to completely rearrange them. I mean, most of the steps, including step three and step 11 that mention higher power, I can pretty easily make a nice move with. Uh, I guess it's some kind of an Aikido move uh, to handle the God thing. But to have God remove is a problem, and then defects of character. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have enough time to even get started on this. Maybe I shouldn't, but um, uh, let me just try to do a quick rundown on this. Um, I don't believe that God removes defects of character because that implies that there's some external force that reaches. I, I sort of always imagine one of those kind of, like one of those horror movies or something where there's like some beast that reaches and like pulls parts out of your body. You know, you're like, <laughs> there are your guts hanging out. <laughs> God removed him. Okay. Um, you know, the, uh, and I don't think that's a process of removal. I'm not sure anything ever gets removed, uh, you know, in, in, in kind of, uh, you know, physics terms, isn't it? Like nothing ever really, uh, things can change form, but they're, but they're still there in some way or another. So, um, so I have to think of this as something completely different, which is, as I guess I was saying in whatever I read before, that it's being ready to change uh, or being ready to let go. which puts a lot more responsibility on us because not only do I have to be ready, but, you know, I don't get to have somebody else do it for me. Uh, so I'll, I'll come back to that part of the process. But the defects of character, again, I feel like the term character, first of all, has a very solid sound to it. And it sounds like something that's kind of permanent. And, and I'm skeptical of that view. Uh, I think that we are made up of potentials and that I never had the potential to be the center fielder for the New York Yankees. Like, even when I was little, that just wasn't a potential for me. But, um, you know, I don't think that being an alcoholic is my character and I don't, you know... I, the idea of a defective character, and, and I guess I rebel against it so much that it's hard for me to speak rationally about it. Um, the, obviously, the idea of being defective is really alienating to me. Um, so, but none of that's really important, is it? I mean, to the process. I, I don't think, I mean, I think it can get in our way, but I think that the steps are as much as I rebel against the language, I think they're absolutely pointing at some th things that are really important. And so, um, and so, so what I think that is, is that I, again, I have to be kind of be ready to let go. I need to be ready to look at the parts of myself that are really not helpful, that are harming me, that are harming others, and try to not act on those impulses or turn those qualities, find a positive uh, expression of those qualities, and all, all the stuff that, that's involved in, in change. And um, so, I mean, we can say that's what step seven is ultimately about. So what does getting ready involve? What does this mean in the, in the, in the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? This is covered in about a paragraph, step six. It says that after you've, I actually have it on my tablet, but I'm not going to look it up. After you've uh, done a step five and read a, your step four inventory to your sponsor or to whomever you read it to, and, to, and these days it seems to be people who do it with their sponsor, um, that you come home and then you review the steps and see that you have really done them and that you haven't left anything un, 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 undone, incomplete, of the first five steps. 
and that then uh, you're ready, I guess. You know. And now, now you're going to ask God to remove, you know, step seven, humbly ask him to remove, and then get the prayer in there and all that. Um, if only, right? <laughs> if that was all that was involved in, in this process. Um, uh, again, because the language of it is kind of implies that, okay, I'm going to have these removed. You know, I had my wisdom teeth removed. They don't grow back. You know, that's not a problem. I don't have to keep going to the dentist and having them removed every year. My defective character, not so much. You know, they're kind of more like, uh, you know, reptilian. What are the, you know, they can grow back things, right? Reptiles. Crabgrass. What? Crabgrass. Crabgrass. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good example. And I'm entirely ready to have the crabgrass of my character removed. It's good. Yeah, uh, unless it's uprooted, I guess. So, um, now that's a whole other topic. But uh, so, so being entirely ready, just to come back to this, and like the you know at least this as a potential. Um, I think that uh, from a from our pra- from a Buddhist practice standpoint. This is about showing up and doing the work. And, and I guess that's the same thing from a recovery standpoint. And you know, this is why, for me, so many of the steps go back to step three, the idea of just turning it over and trusting in the results. That the way we prepare to change is that we keep showing up. And particularly when you're talking about meditation itself. Meditation comes to fruition through the process of showing up repeatedly. And we don't get to decide when that fruition or when that transformation or just deepening is going to take place or how it's going to take place and what. It's, you know, that's the part that's the mystery or the law of karma or God that we don't control. Uh, and, And so for me, showing up on a daily basis for my practice is that kind of turning it over. But it's also laying the groundwork and uh, planting the seeds. And, uh, let's see if I can think of some more cliches. Just um, <laughs> cultivating. So, but There's also not some point of arrival, you know, and okay, that's been removed or I've changed. Now, maybe for some people, and certainly for some things, yes, we we change in certain ways. You get older, so you know, things change. But, um, but I I think that for the uh, the persistent, habitual, and deeply conditioned qualities in us, uh, be they positive or negative or pleasant or unpleasant, um, it's not so much that they get removed. Um, And I think that mostly what we're doing is living with them as best we can. Uh, I think I'm getting into deep deep stuff here, so I'll try not to uh, make a mess. Um, Yeah, I I think it really, and I'm I'm getting really vague here, because, uh, you know, as I'm reflecting on this, it's like there are some things that we really can see that uh, that quality is there's really been a shift. And then there are the things which tend to be more the emotional patterns like depression and anxiety that just keep coming back and that we manage. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm getting somewhere here, I hope. Um, and 
and rather than, you know, I guess, put, putting aside this whole idea of, okay, getting ready and having God remove them, to me, you know, the idea of maintaining our spiritual condition on a daily basis is more what the process of staying in recovery and moving forward, even forward is too, isn't quite how I see it. So uh, just continuing on a path uh, that doesn't, uh, that, you know, that doesn't have relapse and there's not sort of a degeneration of our, of our condition. Really, you know, it's just having to show up and, and do this practice and do our program and not with, I think it's a little bit of a, um, uh, um, I think it's a little risky to hold out to someone the idea that you're going to have your defective character removed or you're going to change in some essential way. And because to me as an addict and alcoholic, I'm always looking for that fix, the thing that's going to make me be okay from now on that I, and that I don't have to do anything anymore. You know, I'm fixed. I'm enlightened. You know, whatever. I'm famous. I'm rich. What, you know, we're always win the lottery, right? We hold out these things. So I think there's a little risk in this, this step of, of setting ourselves up for this kind of idea that I'm going to get transformed and then I won't this anymore and I won't be like that anymore and I won't have those feelings anymore. And, and for me, it's much more like, you know, keep going to the, if I want to keep, keep muscles, I have to keep going to the gym. I don't have any muscles and I don't go to the gym, so that's not a problem for me. But in my life, it's the, you know, if I want to shoot under 90, I need to practice golf regularly. If I want my meditation to, uh, you know, be uh, quiet and peaceful and rich, I need to practice. I need to put in the time. Um, and if I do, if I don't, then I get the results of that, and I understand it. I mean, right now, I didn't, I haven't gone on a retreat this year, which is the first time that's happened. Uh, it maybe happened once in the '80s, but. Basically, since 1980, I've been on a retreat every year. And my meditation practice right now is very shallow. It's not very deep. Um, and Because people will say to me sometimes, well, what's it like for you to, when you meditate now, after so long? It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, it's just the same thing. If you, if you were a bodybuilder, and you didn't go to the gym for a year, you'd just be another schlub, you know? And people would be like, well, you've been a bodybuilder for 30 years. What's it like, you know, to be so strong? It's like, I'm not strong right now. I know about how to get strong, and I'm, I accept the fact that right now I'm not strong because I haven't been going to the gym, but, you know, I'm not. And that's kind of where my practice is at right now, which I hate, by the way. But anyway, I'm completely equanimous about the whole thing. <laughs> it's starting to get to me, though, I'll say that. So I, so I guess I guess I'm throwing out this step. I'm not throwing it out. I'm saying it's just not... I, I think it's... Uh, maybe it's about something else. And you guys can help me when, when I finally stop talking. Uh, maybe straighten me out on what this is about. Because, um, you know, one of the things that happens, I mean, yeah, I've been sober for 28 years. That's about like 25 years more than the people who wrote the big book, right? So, or whatever, you know. So they, they didn't have to go through this stuff until later, and then they probably were like, God, we, sh we should never have said that in that book. What the hell were we thinking? Well, we can't change it now. Oh, well, you're right. All those people are like, believe it, and they're working their program. If we come out and like revise it and say, no, it doesn't work like that at all. And, you know, oh, we're throwing out, we agnostics forget it. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, uh, we can't have a chapter called How It Works because it doesn't work. We don't even know how it works. It's just... They'd be like, oh, no, we can't do it. So they just went off and drank, probably. 
or committed suicide. Or take LSD, like Bill or whatever his name was. Speaking of which, just on another subject, because this is getting really stupid. Um, in July, you know, have you heard about the play Bill W. and Dr. Bob? Yeah. Some of you have heard about yeah. that, right? I, I happen to know the writers of the play, because when you get, one of the cool things about when you get like famous, but uh, you, know, you get to know the f other famous people, like if you're a rock star, then you know other rock stars. Well, I'm a Dharma star, so I know other Dharma stars. So I'm a Dharma and recovery star, which there aren't many of us, because it's a very small field. But anyway, the people who wrote that are friends of mine. Uh, anyway, um, and they invited me. They're gonna, it's going to be showing in New York City, the Soho Playhouse in July. And they invited me to do a talk back at the, at the it's like, it's on my website. It's July 21st or something. It's a Friday night. And it'll be like at the end of the play, I'll like come out and sit on the stage with some people and talk about Buddhism and <laughs> Bill and Bob. It's going to be hysterical. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, but I don't have to figure that out right now. I'm supposed to figure out what I'm going to say now. See, I'm losing myself as usual. Just hope that this is really working for you because this is kind of like performance art, what I'm doing right now. I don't know if you realize that, so hope you appreciate it. It's taken years of training. <laughs> All right, so this is what we're going to do now. This is my non-book. Isn't there some Dharma book? Oh, I think there's a book of poetry called What Book or something like that. Gary Gatch, have you ever heard of that? Anyway, so um, this is a non-book. Um, so let's do a little contemplation. So just assume the meditation posture. And gently closing your eyes, taking a breath, going inside. Ask yourself, what am I afraid to lose? If I fully engage in this process, of letting go, is there anything that I'm afraid to lose? Consider if there are qualities you have that you think make you special. And ask yourself if those qualities are serving you well. What beliefs or attitudes do you have that might be destructive, especially those regarding yourself, how you think about yourself, who you think you are? Are there attitudes or opinions or viewpoints you have about your work or your relationships? About society or culture or politics? Things that you hold on to that actually cause you pain. 
what would happen if you let go? How do you limit yourself? When we have fixed beliefs about ourselves, about our capabilities, about what we need or want in our lives, when we have those fixed beliefs, we limit the possibility of change. have those kind of beliefs, we can find, find ourselves cornered by our own limiting ideas of our potential, our ideas about what we should do or how we should look and behave in our life. We limit ourselves based on other people's opinions of us. <clears throat> who would you be? Who would you be if you dropped? your self-beliefs, limiting ideas about who you are. Even many of our negative qualities can become identities that we cling to. Habitual moods and reactivity, defensiveness, isolation, Even as these things cause us pain, we're afraid to let go of them because we're afraid of losing what we know and entering into the unknown. Oftentimes we'd rather be an unhappy person than not have any clear identity, feeling that will become nothing or empty or undefined. This is purely the ego holding on desperately. desperately holding on to separateness. And desperately afraid to let go of the familiar and enter into the unknown.
So maybe you could uh, just join together with a couple people around you and just share a little bit about what came up for you, what you're afraid to lose. Just make some little groups. Some of you are already sort of together, so go ahead and do that. And if you're not in a little group, join a little group. Make a new friend. Be afraid, but do it anyway. And if you see someone sitting alone and you're in a group, please invite them to join your group.
And maybe just a couple more minutes. Thank you for uh, participating in that. Did anything come out of that that anyone would like to share on a uh, group level at all? Okay. So that Thank you. Um, I thought the, the thing that I would lose, what, that scared me the most to lose, would be control. And then immediately <laughs> it was the illusion of control. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, it made it followed right on it. Yeah. So, but it was that idea of, yeah. you know, I control. I, I control. Mm. <laughs> and what would happen if I really recognized uh -huh. that that was an illusion? Yeah. I, I, I that's that's beautiful and very profound, and I think broadly applicable to you know to many things that we're afraid to lose, like identity, for instance, uh, because it's the you know the the kind of the same thing about identity. Oh, if I lost my identity, it's like well, that's just an illusion that you are somebody. The same kind of illusion, and and. Um, and it it really is the real freedom comes right when we when we see through the illusion and we're not caught in it. And uh, I mean, what a relief to not be in control, you know? Because uh, it you know it's such a burden, you know, to have to run the world, you know. Yes. I guess I. Uh, but did, uh, it wasn't uh, something that I was fearful of. Uh, maybe because I have more to work on than others. But <laughs> I, it it, uh, it intrigues me that. Taking some of these things that aren't useful and box me into a certain place that I need to be boxed in. Working that process is, yeah. you know, uh, not that I haven't done it before, but I think I've got plenty of ways to go. Yeah. And so it's intriguing to me that, that maybe it has something to do with age, I'm not sure. But I'm not worried about. Right, it's not always fear, as you say, that that, that uh, kind of blocks the, the change. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that when we really are able to embrace the, particularly the recovery process, but I think Buddhism is pointing to the same thing, um, then it does become interesting. And, and um, I mean, one of the things that I find incredibly interesting is how, uh, you know, if suffering is, how we, you know, I cause myself suffering and yet I keep doing it, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting when you're on retreat and you're really watching your mind and you're, and you're getting to a point where you're having periods of real deep stillness and, and you know, what could be more uh, pleasant, you know. And, and you, you, naturally you would believe that, well, since we kind of, to some extent, are pleasure-seeking beings, then I would naturally kind of cling to that state in some way. That is to say, I would avoid the things that get me out of that state. But no. <laughs> you know, my mind jumps in and starts doing stuff and trying to entertain itself, I guess, uh, or makes stuff up that causes agitation. And, and what we call, you know, dukkha, what we call suffering, I mean, whether it's oppressive suffering or it's just like mildly unpleasant, nonetheless, it's abandoning something that's right there that just requires letting go of basically thinking, you know, of, you know, sort of uh, do, making stuff up and going off, and yet you keep doing it. It's like, or I keep doing it, and I know virtually everybody I know who's ever talked about being on retreat. I mean, it's one thing in your daily life, okay, you sit down and meditate, sure, you know, you can't settle down, and it's like, yeah, because you're already, there's all this energy of daily life and, you know, concerns, and what are you going to do later, and your bank account, and your health insurance, and, you know. But you go on a retreat, and you're there for a couple of weeks, and nothing is happening, you know. There's nothing going on, and, and yet you still keep creating trouble for yourself. Human beings are weird. You know, we really are. Uh, and it's, I mean, you can understand it. There's ways to understand it. I think the best way is the, what Wes Nisker talks about, which is the evolutionary uh, uh, purpose of thinking, which is you know, our, our primary survival mechanism. Uh, and so because that's what has allowed us uh, as a species to survive and thrive in <laughs> such, such as it is, our, our thriving, um, we're deeply conditioned to feel that if we're not thinking, we're in danger. Because that's what... And so... So our mind just starts thinking uh, so that it's not afraid, I guess, or out of fear, I guess, it, it starts thinking. Oh, that's a vocal exercise, and I'm really not good at it anymore. <clears throat> but I find it a really good meditation exercise, too. Yes, I'll run that by you later. Yes. What does? Became entirely ready to have all these I don't think it says became. It says we were entirely ready. Yeah. We were entirely ready. But it's, in, no, that's what, what, were you just. Okay, uh, then the defects of character. Uh-huh. Are those samskaras? Uh, I'm not sure what term you use, like skandhas? A dukkha is an incident, uh, you know, defilement, or a uh, you know, condition that arises. But a samskara is when you attach yourself to it by oh, clinging or aversion. Right. And if you get deeply rooted samskaras, right. they can be very, they can cause kaleshas, deep, old volcanoes that rise to the surface unknowingly, unwittingly, 
from the subconscious and cause us to act in ways in which we don't want to act. What we do, because that becomes the nature of our character defect. Yeah. And so to raise these samskaras to the level of consciousness and allow them to go away, anicca, anicca, right. upa, dan. I, that's a good description, yeah. That's the words of Buddha. I feel like you're speaking Latin now. I know it's Pali, but it's... Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that... That's a great, uh, that's a great description, I think. It kind of, um, I mean, I'm not sure how the process works, but that's certainly a, a pretty, probably a pretty good uh, description. Very clearly, you put that this is a central, centrally located in the steps. I think this is a core issue. Yeah. 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 Um, I I'm just gonna let that be because I think you you know you kind of I like the way you kind of took it like step by step like the way it deepens starts you know it's like there there's that saying that's attributed to the Buddha, but I don't believe that Buddha actually said it, that says um, that something about actions become habits, habits become uh, hardened into character, and character becomes destiny or something like that. But that this progression, uh, which is very much the way we become addicts, right? Start out just having fun, and then it becomes something you, you really kind of want to do, and after a while you kind of need to do it, and then it's killing you and you're still doing it. So. By the way, Kevin, that lead on your meditation was very, very effective. Oh, well, good. Because uh, I just got into some of the stuff that I've been avoiding thinking about. You know, I always bring up stuff when it comes up. Yeah. It's nice to have things brought to <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I try to um, guide people to the place that um, I try to get to. Um, so I'm glad sometimes it works, and it works for different people at different times. Um, so. Oh, this clock is a little fast. I have another minute left here. I'm going to read you a little bit more to close and then uh, close. The term defective character is one that many people find disturbing. Character seems like something essential, something that defines us. And if mine is defective, it doesn't make me feel very good about myself. Of course, from the standpoint of impermanence and not self, none of our personal qualities are fixed, but nonetheless, it's easy to fall into a negative belief about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are persistent in our lives. The other extreme is to see everything we do as our Buddha nature, that we're already enlightened, perfect, and should let go of all judgments. This is the distortion of the idea of Buddha nature, which is that beneath the five hindrances, when the mind is cleared of distractions and delusions, there is a purity. This is certainly true, but that purity is not a personal quality, but simply the natural purity of awareness. If we take this personally, claiming that it belongs to us or is something special about us, we are corrupting the very meaning of Buddha nature. These two extremes, one of seeing ourselves as defective and the other as seeing ourselves as perfect, don't allow growth or healing. If our character is defective, well, that's just the way it is, we'll never change. If we're already perfect, then we can go on acting the way we are, safely justified and in denial about our behaviors. Each of these views is dangerous because how we see ourselves has profound influence on our behavior and our feelings. If we feel that our character is defective, then there can be a sense of despair or resignation that both leaves us happy, unhappy, and paralyzed. We feel bad about who we are, guilty, ashamed, downtrodden, and because these, we see these qualities as inherent to who we are, we don't see any possibility of change. The belief that we can't change is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I believe I can't change, then I won't try to change, and thus, I won't change. The other extreme, that I'm already perfect, 
that my behavior is always just Buddha nature expressing itself creates another kind of paralysis. In this case, since nothing's wrong, there's no need to change or grow. This is a particularly pernicious delusion that allows for all kinds of unskillful behavior, from addiction to promiscuity to abuse and arrogance. No matter how we feel, how we behave, or what happens in our life, we can file it all under natural unfolding and reject any sense of responsibility or need to deal with the consequences of our actions. Of course, this kind of behavior eventually catches up with you with, with results that are often disastrous for us and for others. When this arrogance infects a spiritual leader, it can destroy an entire community. The Buddha's middle way suggests another viewpoint. We aren't inherently flawed, but we still have some work to do. In fact, the idea of impermanence and a fluid identity gives us hope that we can really change. As in step two, this view acknowledges that the law of karma, that all actions have results, implies the possibility of growth and change. There is neither a fixed condition, our defects, nor a magical spiritual state that is immutable. Our character is dependent upon our actions. Our spiritual condition is a direct result of the work we do in ourselves and the way we, ways we express ourselves in the world. Should have read that in the beginning. We could have left early. <laughs> I just found it. So uh, I'm just going to mention uh, one more, well, two things. One is that if you are in the East Bay, Wednesday nights, Yoga Kula on Shattuck in Virginia, it's either Wes Nisker or me teaching. And it's just a regular sitting group. It's not recovery-oriented, but sometimes that topic might show up. So if you're interested in joining a group that's 730s, it's just a drop-in group. I shouldn't say join. You just joining would be like in the case of just showing up. Uh, come by Yoga Cool, the beautiful space, and uh, every Wednesday somebody's teaching something. Um, the other thing is just a reminder that uh, as a teacher I am supported by your Donna here. Donna being the Pali word for generosity. Pali and Donna are two ladies that like they... <laughs> Donna was Richie Valens' girlfriend, and Polly, there's a song about Polly too, right? Polly, put the kettle on, something like that, it's like an old folk song, so, but that's not really what we're talking about, those are spelled differently. Anyway, there's a, there's a basket out there for Donna, don't worry about Polly, she'll take care of herself. So, um, and I'm, I'm Donna, just think of me as Donna. He's going to sing the song next not, month. When? Yeah, maybe. If you buy my CD. I might have my CD next month, but definitely by August. So, All right, so let's just close with a little uh, inner uh, reflection and sharing. You know, our practice together is ultimately for the benefit of all beings. Each of us touches many people in our lives. As we grow and change, we touch those people in positive ways. In this very real way, this practice is for the benefit of all beings as those positive expressions of ourselves radiate out to others and from them to others and onward. We might also have some sense that on another level, more of a level of universal consciousness, we are all connected. And then our inner work is actually helping to purify some greater consciousness that binds us all together. So in this spirit, we offer the benefit of our work together this evening to the awakening of all beings. May all beings be free from the suffering of addiction May all beings be happy, joyous, and free.
Well, thank you for coming. And uh, if you dare, come back in July and see what happens in step seven. <laughs> Couldn't be crazier than this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.